I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk with the volunteers of the Beth Emmett Soup Kitchen. There was recently a celebration for the 20th anniversary and to honor the Rabbi Peter and Elaine Noble Soup Kitchen at Beth Emmett. Every Wednesday since 2002, Beth Emmett has opened its doors to members of our community in need of a nutritious dinner. Guests sit at linen-covered tables, fresh flowers, and listen to live music while enjoying their meal. In addition, they each leave with a sack lunch to have the following day. The Soup Kitchen also continued to provide weekly meals throughout the pandemic, and we're going to hear more about this later. I've been a volunteer for the Soup Kitchen so many times, and it's always been so rewarding and wonderful to see the members of our community enjoying these fresh meals. They are so appreciative, and I know many of them look forward to it every week. My kids and their friends have also volunteered, and it's been a wonderful experience for them as well. Uh, Later, we'll tell you how you can volunteer, and we'd love to have any listeners who'd love to volunteer or donate money to the Soup Kitchen uh, be our guests. We're always welcome for that. But today, we're going to talk to the founders of the Soup Kitchen and the volunteers. The founders back in 2002 were Nancy Bushuk, Jesse McDonald, and Jeff Forgresh. We also have some volunteers extraordinaire, Leslie Schulroff, Beth Tucker, and Tracy Dedlow. This is my first podcast with so many participants, so I'm excited to do this, and I know it's going to go really well. We're going to talk about how and when and why the Soup Kitchen was started, how is the Soup Kitchen staffed, meals prepared, volunteer responsibilities, What does a typical meal look like and how many people are they serving weekly? How are they able to continue the soup kitchen during COVID? How you can volunteer and their favorite memories. So I'm going to bring us back to maybe 2001 because the soup kitchen was 2002 and turn it over to Nancy and Jesse to talk about how the soup kitchen was started. Thanks, Sherry. Um, So as you say, we opened the first Wednesday in November 2002, but we had been planning this for over a year. Um, Nancy and I had been the volunteer coordinators when Beth Emmett helped at the soup kitchen at First United Methodist Church. So we had been doing this for a number of years. And actually, I think that's how I met Jeff, who would come with his daughters to volunteer. But so we, we really knew how to do this and we knew what model we wanted to use. Um, but I also wanna say Beth Emmett has had a longer history of helping at soup kitchens because back in the 1980s, Patty Gerby and Dee Romaine, longtime members of Beth Emmett, um, were leading Beth Emmett groups at St. Nicholas Church in their soup kitchen. 
Anyway, we never doubted that a soup kitchen would work at Beth Emmett. We just needed the timing. So at that time, there was a capital campaign going on, and we knew that it was not a good time to ask about anything that concerned money. So <laughs> we, we bided our time, did a lot of work in the meantime, um, while we were kind of waiting for the campaign to be over. And um, Nancy can tell you what happened then. Well, in 2001, I was the new chair of the Social Action Committee. And I think, Jeff, you were on the committee, and Jeff, Jesse was on the committee. And Bob Render was president of Beth Emmett at that time, and he asked that the committee develop a theme for our activities. So a task force was formed, and after a lot of deliberation, the task force came up with the theme of access to food. And we translated this into feeding the hungry. So this was like the first perfect avenue for Jesse and I to pursue our dream of opening a soup kitchen at Beth Emmett. And we began work on this immediately. So we made several presentations to the board before our proposal for the soup kitchen was approved. And by the time that happened, we had covered every detail possible, including administrative, operational, marketing, financial, staffing, and there were maintenance and storage issues and security concerns and budget issues, of course, and just how it would all work on a weekly basis. And, you know, once the board and clergy had gotten over the hump of thinking about having strangers and you know, homeless people coming in the building, they were so supportive. And, and they pushed us really to ask, to, they asked hard questions, they pushed us to find the answers to them um, and to think through everything very carefully. And during, it was about 10 months of actual planning, Jeff and Nancy and I, we visited all the other soup kitchens, we went to the food pantries, the shelters, the Illinois Hunger Coalition, um, I think Nancy and I were talking on the phone about 10 times a day, and um, we learned a lot. We had a lot of fun, but we learned a lot too. And I want to be clear that, you know, even though it was the three of us in the beginning, we didn't do this alone. We had an unbelievable steering committee. Um, Tina Herpy, Liz Couston, Rich Leibels, Susan Fisher, and some of the things that happened back then, like Tina set up our whole budget and accounting system and the whole financial record keeping stuff. Susan Fisher, incredible lot, logistical mind. She helped to, to define what roles each person should have. Um, Liz Couston, oh my gosh, began the whole volunteer coordination program. And that was an incredible job from the beginning. Um, and all the outreach to the other synagogues. Actually, I think after Liz was Jeff's wife, Julie took over the volunteer coordinator from them. We've had just amazing volunteer coordinators and, and still do. I mean, the current volunteer coordinator, Susan Meltzer is just, I mean, it's a hard job. I did it for about 10 months. <laughs> it's a very hard job. Yeah, so you guys really have never missed a week. You always have the volunteers. And Jeff, I'm going to turn it over to you. How did you pick Wednesday as the day? And can you also talk about, you know, how the meals are prepared and go into that? Well, 
there was a soup kitchen every night except for Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday was the logical choice. And, and Leslie may be able to explain in more detail. We are and we are not uh, part of Interfaith Action, which manages the other soup kitchens. But Wednesday night was, was the open night on the schedule. And that's how Wednesday nights came about. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it does take a village. I'm hearing this and I know all the names that they mentioned. So now that, you know, you get the soup kitchen staff, I think it starts around four o'clock. What is the typical process to get these meals together and how does that work? So um, it starts for sure with the volunteer coordinator. So that is, she is a number one, incredibly important. And we would not be running without her. So that's, we'll start there. And she does all kinds of outreach to synagogues. We have community uh, places, uh, Justin Wynn, the kids come and they volunteer. There's groups in Beth Emmett who volunteer. So first of all, the most important is the volunteer coordinator and superhuman person to do that. We, we would not be able to function without someone doing that because it's, it's just too much involvement. There's a lot of communication back and forth over and over again that she handles. Um, and then the volunteers come in and they are given a, a shopping list um, so that they're buying part of the meal. They know that that's part of it. And that was established by Jesse and Nancy as founders. That was how they did it. They come in at 4.15 and they cook till six. And what, they, what happens is they watch the food that they brought in come together and form a meal. And it's rewarding for them to see it that way. And then they serve from six to seven. It's amazing. I mean, it, it's very rewarding. They you see smiles on everybody's faces when they're volunteering and they're very happy. And they're a very, the highlight is interacting with the guests for all of them. So they're happy to be serving. And Jeff can talk about the host too coming in and what he does. Yeah, and the music too, Jeff, because I know that's a big part of what we, what we give the people that come to the soup kitchen. We, we have a host committee and every week we have, in addition to myself, um, another individual. And really our responsibility and our objective is to simply make sure that the guests are enjoying their dinners and making sure that everybody's comfortable there. And that's that's been a really, I think, important part of our soup kitchen. In addition, we've historically had music every Wednesday, and as a result of the pandemic, we're just sort of regrouping on the music side. So if anybody's listening and is a, a, a talented musician, please reach out to us. Um, and, and, and we just make sure that everybody's like enjoying themselves and everything's orderly. And you are you in charge of security too, Jeff, or you've been in the past? Yes, that's I we we like to use the word hosting. Hosting, hosting. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's it's a more it's a more friendly term. We make sure that you know everybody is um, being kind to everybody else. And it's been interesting, I think over the past 20 years, and somebody else will probably talk about how we transitioned out of the pandemic, but we have a little bit of a different crowd than we had probably pre-pandemic. And, and, and we have almost zero issues with our guests. They're so appreciative and happy. 
And many of us have gotten to know the guests and several of the guests have been coming there for 15 or 20 years. So it's just making sure everybody's comfortable and safe. Yeah, and I I do know that I've seen them. And Jesse, you got your hand raised. I know you wanted to add something. You know what? I just I wanted to go back to something Leslie said because it's really important to know how it is that we at why we ask volunteers to bring ingredients. I mean, we struggled with this issue in the beginning to to see, you know, how, how can we get enough volunteers so everybody's got busy and has a job. Um, but they can also buy the food that's needed to, to prepare that meal. And um, how much is too much to ask people to spend? So this was this was really difficult. So, you know, I think in the beginning, I mean, Nancy and Jeff, you probably remember, um, and Leslie, you were volunteering like almost from the beginning, but the meals were like a $300 a meal. Well, I'm sure it's double at least that now. And so it's like, okay, we, can, we, we need 10 volunteers. We need everybody to spend X amount of money because we didn't want to ask. We, well, we couldn't ask the synagogue for money. And we didn't want to be part of the Greater Chicago Food Depository or have regulations. We really wanted to run things the way we wanted to run them. So that's just interesting because now I'm sure it's very hard to divide up ingredients so people aren't spending you know, $75, $85. And if it's a family, gosh, you know, it's hard. So it's been a juggling act, I think, the whole time. Yeah, and it is amazing. Tracy, how many meals are you guys making? And what does a typical meal look like? So right now we're doing somewhere between 60 and 70 meals or 60 and 70 people or guests are coming Pre-pandemic, we were anywhere from like maybe 80 to 85, up to 120 people. So we've definitely had to cut back a little bit on our purchases. Um, But we're still that it's kind of a work in progress. Every week is a little bit different with how many people we think are going to come and how those numbers are going to work out. Last night we had 74, which seemed really high to me. So um, a typical meal has a protein like chicken or fish. Um, Last night was meat tacos, maybe it's spaghetti and meat sauce. Um, And then there'll be a side, maybe rice, pasta, a vegetable, Um, a large green salad always, and um, bread, and then a variety of desserts. Um, So I would say we offer a large first portion for everyone. And then we usually have enough for seconds and sometimes lots of little extra packages of salad and and food going home. Um, And everything is made on site. The only thing that isn't is um, bread, which is either baked or donated. Um, We have a lot of great um, places in Evanston that donate to us, Hewn and Beth's Bake Shop. And then desserts also that usually a volunteer is either baking or we're getting those things donated, but everything else is cooked when the volunteers come in. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing because I am not a good cook and I don't cook at home. But during those three hours that you're it's it is just amazing with the instructions that you guys give and the ingredients that even our kids, when they were getting bat mitzvah, 12, 13, they were able to cook. And I think that they were very excited to see the end product. And these meals are just amazing that you're able to produce every week and come out. So there were a couple times that it was a bit of a challenge. We had a capital campaign where we literally were doing construction 
And we also had the pandemic. So Beth, can you talk how Soup Kitchen was able to pivot during both of these challenges? Sure. Well, pivot is definitely, I think, the the word of the time. So um, there was no playbook for what to do when all of, you know everything was changing around us. Um, so we kept serving meals, um, but instead of obviously welcoming guests into the Beth Emmett Soup Kitchen, we were handing out meals um, that were prepackaged at the door um, on Ridge Avenue. So a very small uh, amount of volunteers were brought in once we kind of figured out what needed to be done. Oftentimes we were ordering like almost catering size meals and then dividing that into prepackaged meals to give out of the door. And what was nice about that was it was a way to keep even a small number of volunteers engaged with the soup kitchen. We didn't want to lose our volunteers. They're such an integral part of the success of our soup kitchen. And so that way it started small. And with time, as things started to improve, we were able to um, have more. But initially it was masked, you know, with people in very different parts of the kitchen, which was so different than what we had been used to. It was all about prior to that, you know, connecting and talking and cooking and chopping together. And so it was, um, it was a tough time, I think, for everybody. Um, the soup kitchen absorbed a lot more of those costs during that time because we were purchasing um, the meals. And then as things progressed, the synagogue was slow to let us like let people back in. They were nervous. I think we were one of the last to kind of reopen for inside dining. And when we did, it was a very small number that we were allowed. I think 20, no more than 20 or 24 with very spread out tables. It, it felt very different. And over time, we have been building back, like Tracy mentioned, um, not exactly up to the pre-pandemic numbers, but a very full dining room, again, with tablecloths and such. So yeah, during the pandemic, you know, again, a small group of volunteers, we also learned how to outsource um, to people who also wanted to help, but maybe were too nervous um, or felt unsafe to come to the kitchen or just were beyond that number that we could accommodate safely. Um, so people started making salads in their homes and bringing them to um, dropping them off at the synagogue for us to use. So that was something we didn't have to order. Same with uh, desserts and even packaging, buying the ingredients to package lunches that we would also um, distribute. So again, another way to give people purpose um, during that time, families were home together and um, right to volunteer. Um, and so they did um, that and contributed to the meal in a different way. And then just now since the summer, um, again, welcoming people back in. And really, I would say not until just within the past month or so, getting a little bit back to our pre-pandemic um, times, having a waiting room for our guests to come out of the cold to have a cup of coffee before uh, the meal begins. Um, and then at six o'clock, um, coming over to the dining room. Yeah, and I'm sure meals were needed more than ever during that time because it, a lot of places weren't open and people really need to be fed. So, you know, when I think about this and the memories I have of being a volunteer and the fact that 
who knew in 2002 that it would be 20 years? I don't know if you ever envisioned that, Jesse, Nancy, Jeff, and I know, Leslie, you were there at the beginning, that we'd still be doing this and, and having young volunteers. And it goes from generation to generation, the door of a door, as they say in, in Jewish. But, you know, I'd love to, um, if we missed anything, please share it. But I kind of want to go around the table here and talk about some, you know, one of your favorite memories or something that you want to add about the soup kitchen. So I'm going to go and order my screen here. I'm going to start with Jeff. Every week is exciting <laughs> and every week is different, but sort of looking back and, and it was interesting, you mentioned, you know, when we were doing the capital campaign, I really forgot about that. <laughs> Our Executing at the Unitarian Church was really unique and, and kudos to them for providing us a place to continue to do the soup kitchen. Well, some of my favorite memories are in the early years we had during the holidays, some orchestras, big bands, and it was really exciting to see the guests get out and dance and really enjoy the spirit of the holidays. And lastly, probably every year, the coat drive is just like an incredible part of the soup kitchen um, that requires a lot of work and it, and it takes care of a lot of the folks in the community. Yeah, this is audio. I wish it was live so you could see everyone's faces here, but they're all smiling and nodding and agreeing with what everyone says. So um, Tracy, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Some of your fondest memories. I mean, I started probably a lot a way a lot of people did was um, my kids were at the preschool and I started volunteering. And then at some point, I mean, my kids were old enough to volunteer as well. So probably those days where my kids were small and they would come and I have a memory of guests coming and they would hand them each a cookie and they would say, well, just so you know, it has nuts. And every time, and the guests would sort of look at them like, is that what, you know, but for a kid, like that was nuts or a thing. So it was just funny to hear them, every single person, just so you know, it has nuts every time someone came by. So it was, it, they've grown up there and that sort of feels special to me as well. And those are the kind of things, you know, you can tell your kids about volunteering and doing, but when they see it happen, it really, you know, is, it really gets in their brains and they're, they get a lot of joy, I think, seeing that as we see the next generation doing it. So Nancy, your turn. One of the things I wanted to add was that we had a marketing team also, and the marketing team came up with the name of Project Tomozzi to cover all of the related activities at the synagogue. And we put out a brochure that was on everybody's seat to promote the soup kitchen. That was the congregation's introduction at Rosh Hashanah, that Rosh Hashanah to the soup kitchen. And it must have been successful because for 20 years, we've had volunteers coming every single Wednesday night. And there's no money taken from the operational funds of the synagogue. This is all supported by donations and our fundraising efforts. So that's quite amazing for 20 years. Um, I have a, well, I have so many memories. It's unbelievable and more just came to me, but, but we had a woman uh, who was Jewish who came every Wednesday night and she loved to write poems and essays and all different crazy stuff. And she'd always present them to Jesse and I 
and I don't know if you were re the recipient of any of those, Jeff, but but they were just crazy stuff. But she she loved the soup kitchen. She loved us, and it was uh, quite a thing. Uh, and I want to pick up on what Tracy said about about the kids. Um, every year from the beginning, my whole family volunteered on the Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's. And there was a gang of us because I have six grandchildren and you know my sons and daughter-in-laws and everything. And, and we were all there. And my grandson, the first time he came, hid under the table when he was five years old. They all, all the grandchildren started when they were five years old. And my granddaughter uh, decided she was, when she was about 13, 14, she decided she wanted to serve hot chocolate to the guests. So she brought all the ingredients herself. She made the hot chocolate there, set up a stand, set up a little stand for her. And she went ahead and just served the guests the hot chocolate. And this is just, you know, my other granddaughter did a presentation in school all about the soup kitchen. And at her confirmation, this was the focus of her talk at her confirmation. So it, it's really important for these young people to come, you know, to come and have this in their, their life and what they make of all this as time goes on. So it, it's really been an experience with that. Yes, I, I agree, Nancy. It's it's been an experience for all multi-generations. And that's so beautiful that your family comes together. I'm sure that's a memory they're going to have forever that that they did that work. So but I'm going to turn it to Jesse now. Yeah, listening to Nancy, um, I, I was thinking there's never been one volunteer who's left working at the soup kitchen who said, this is the worst three hours I've ever spent. Not one. I think that the soup kitchen, well, is a deeply meaningful experience to everyone, but I will say that it's changed me being part of it and, and has changed my life in very, very fundamental ways and helped to teach me gratitude and not taking things for granted and getting out of my little bubble and seeing how other people manage. And I, I have no doubt that I wouldn't last a day as a homeless woman on the streets of Evanston. I mean, so I, I, mean, I have deep admiration for people who manage to keep going in life. And one of my favorite memories is, my, a, a lot of my memories are bittersweet memories of people who really struggled and who aren't around anymore. But this one woman, this was back in the early years, I don't know how many years exactly, but this woman, oh, she was homeless and she carried her things in one of those shopping carts and she would come in and sit down at the table and every week she would take out a beautiful placemat, a beautiful china plate, a beautiful napkin and her silverware. And, and, and that's what she would eat off of. And it was just like, I thought, you know, our economic situation, the homelessness doesn't change that she will have dignity in her life and she will have beauty in her life. And, and I just was so moved by that. And she came for years, but then 
stopped coming and, you know, people die. People we knew then die from the stress of being homeless and uh, poor and anyway. Um, so, and, and the other, the other <laughs> memory, it's so funny because sometimes people, when they see me now, if I come to volunteer, and they say, oh, hi, I haven't seen you for a while. I'm thinking, yeah, like five years. But anyway, but then they think, you know, I always get, I always confuse you and Nancy. And it's so funny because you guys can't see us. But, you know, <laughs> Nancy is this tiny, petite little woman. I'm a tall woman, a little bit stouter. But it was just so funny when they say that. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, and I, the dignity part, I think, with the tablecloths and the flowers and the music, I think that's so important. And, and that's what the soup kitchen has always offered. Beth? Sure. So I think um, similar to Tracy and Nancy, I think volunteering with my family has been a big part of it. Tracy and I are, you know, in it together now and have been since the beginning when we were preschool moms, when we became friends and involved um, bringing our families to the soup kitchen. So our kids used to do it together. And when I look back at those pictures, they are just very sweet memories. And similar to Nancy, for a couple of years, I invited my extended family who are not Beth Emmett members to um, join, I think it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So just sharing that experience with my family so that they could understand and have an opportunity to volunteer and then kind of remain engaged and supportive of the work that the soup kitchen does. And then I think the third thing that I just think about is you know, when we started being site supervisors, some of our co-workers, as you might want to call them, you know, didn't love the nights where it was dominated by kids volunteering in the kitchen because those can be a little more challenging. And Tracy and I always really loved those nights um, with Justin Winners or um, kids from the synagogue. Um, so really seeing kids be able to help out and learn and even on nights where there were more of them than a typical um, soup kitchen night. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the kids has always fun. In fact, that brings back memories as Leslie's going to speak next. We met with our kids in preschool shortly before the soup kitchen started. And I know our kids both have volunteered and probably all of Leslie's kids and my other daughter as well. So Leslie, I'd love to hear some of your favorite memories. I don't know that I have favorite memories, but I know that still to this day, touching on basically what Jesse said, that when I get up and say the blessing before the meal, my eyes literally like well up. And sometimes I can't even get the words out because I look around the room and I look at everybody and I feel so fortunate that I'm able to be there and do this and see these people sitting there who are happy and appreciative and gracious and literally every single time, it just doesn't get old. It just always feels so amazing. And the other thing I would say is we meet amazing volunteers. I mean, there are so many wonderful people around, people who we didn't know. I had a woman come in last night for cleanup for the first time, lived in the neighborhood. I mean, she, the nicest person I've ever seen in my life. She was cleaning things that no one's cleaned in years and just smiling and and there's just wonderful people out there and I think volunteering at our soup kitchen or any soup kitchen or anywhere is a great way for people to meet lots of other wonderful people it's really tremendous 
Great. And and it is, Leslie, every time you say that prayer that you still well up, it's pretty. And I can see, looks like you're doing it right now. Um, but, <laughs> but sometimes what I think happens, and that's what I love about the podcast, is we're all running day to day. Do we have the volunteers this week? Are we ready to go? Are we staffed? And then all of a sudden we take a step back and we look 20 years, 20 years we started this and look where it's at and look at how many, the hundreds and thousands of meals that we've served, multi-generational volunteers. And the title of this podcast is called Maximize Your Return on Life. And I interview real people with real stories. And I think you're all an example of this. Not only have you maximized the return on life of the people that you're serving and the homeless people that come to the soup kitchen, but I just from looking at your faces and hearing what you have to say, I think you've all maximized your own life with this experience and really helping our community. So um, on behalf of myself, I just want to say thank you. And it's inspired me. I have to volunteer again because I may even have our staff at Rappaport Rikers Capital Management uh, sign up to volunteer because it, it's such a wonderful experience. So thank you all. But if the listeners want to volunteer, we're going to put a link to their website, but you can look up Beth Emmett Soup Kitchen. I looked it up. You can find it right away. There's a way to volunteer. There's also a donation button because they had a matching program. The Rabbi Noble's family had made a matching grant that if a certain amount was raised, they would match. So any money is welcome. Of course, you know, I'm a fan of it. But listeners, if you'd like to learn how to maximize your return on life, feel free to go to our website at rrcapital.com or I have my own website, sherrygrecorikus.com and we'd love to help you maximize your return on life. But thank you. I think it was a success having six different people or five people on my podcast, never done it before, but thank you all for, for your input and loved hearing the history because I've been so involved with so many years. Thank you.